Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. I reached my hand out to touch him on the shoulder and my hand went right through him. And I thought that was a hallucination. Not only that, it was a hallucination that talked to me. So I literally walked out of the bar and um, thankfully I had these, you know, these silk boxer shorts on that were kind of comfortable because I didn't even own running gear. And I took off my pants and just started running. Most people, you know, I think in modern society don't even know what it's like to be in the wilderness, but I'm more comfortable uh, off running in the wilderness by myself than I am in groups of people. If you had said to me, you know, before I started doing this, hey, you know, one day you're going to run 100 miles nonstop, I would have laughed. I mean, it was like, I don't even like driving 100 miles nonstop. I, you know, <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's funny. You know, great joke. He's like, no, 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 you're, you're number 29. You're ahead of Oprah and you're one behind George Clooney. And I'm like, you're kidding. What's up, guys? Xavier Katana here, and wow, what an interesting episode with Dean Carnassus, who was listed by Time Magazine as one of the most influential people in the world. I mean, he's been featured on all of these different media outlets covering what he does. He's an ultra marathon runner. We get into every aspect of running in this episode. It's a really interesting episode on how running compares to existence and life and you know the challenges that we face in our everyday lives and how we can carry being an athlete into our everyday existence. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Thank you so much for listening. The Human Experience is in session. My guest for today is Mr. Dean Carnassus. Dean, my good sir, welcome to HXP. Thanks for having me on. Very interesting background that you have. Why don't you spell that out for our, our listeners, please? <laughs> so I, I run long distances, I guess is how it is best framed. Uh, an ultra marathon is anything beyond a marathon. So typically the runs I do are you know, 50 miles, 100 miles, sometimes 200 miles. And these are all nonstop. So, you know, people sometimes wonder when they hear about a guy running 100 miles, how does this work? Well, you know, the, the starting gun goes off and you start running. And um, when you reach the finish line, you finish. And hopefully it's within 24 hours. So that's what an ultra marathoner does. It's such a, a fascinating thing to sort of create a livelihood around. How did running become your passion? <laughs> Is it your well, passion? Well, you know, it is. It, it's been a lifelong passion. In fact, I, uh, I used to run home from kindergarten when I was six years old. Um, loved to run, ran competitively uh, as a freshman in high school on the cross-country team, and then literally stopped running. I hung up my running shoes, to, you know, quote the cliche. I didn't run for 15 years. And then I was in a, in a bar on my 30th birthday in San Francisco, you know, doing what everyone does on their 30th birthday. I was in there <laughs> drinking with my friends. And, you know, around midnight, I said I was leaving, and they said, well, you know, why are you leaving? The night's young, let's, let's have another round of tequila. 
And I said, no, I'm going to run 30 miles right now to celebrate my 30th birthday. <laughs> and they laughed at me. Yeah, like you are. They said, you, you know, you're not a runner, you're drunk. And I said, yeah, yeah I am drunk, but I'm still going to do it. So I literally walked out of the bar and um, thankfully I had these, you know, these silk boxer shorts on that were kind of comfortable because I didn't even own running gear. And I took off my pants and just started running and um, <laughs> ran straight through the night. Uh, 30 miles later, uh, became a runner again. You know, there's something interesting about running. I used to run, not competitively or anything, just in college, I used to run a lot. And something that I noticed personally was there's almost like this sort of wall pain threshold. If you're running for long enough and you just, you know, everything in your body just aches and hurts and you just, you don't want to run anymore. But if you just push through that wall, it's like you just start to glide. Have you noticed something similar? Very much so. And, you know, you're talking to a guy that's run probably 100,000 miles collectively over the course of my lifetime. And that same phenomena still happens to me. Um, running is profound in that regard. I mean, it's, it's such a simple act, right? I mean, you're just kind of locomoting a little bit faster than a walk. But there's profound power in it because it's not only the physical activity of running, but it's mastering your mind as well. Um, like you said, so much of running is overcoming the resistance to stop, <laughs> which is constantly in your mind, right? I mean, it hurts. And you're, you know, your mind is saying, stop, stop, stop. And, and you know, you're having to kind of override that um, with discipline and fortitude. And then there's great reward if you can do so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have quite the resume. Just, I mean, Time Magazine named you one of the top 100 most influential people in the world. Your work has been featured on 60 Minutes, The Late Show, the list goes on on CNN, Howard Stern, NPR. When did this ultra marathon aspect of yourself, when did that start becoming this sort of sensation or this, would you frame it as success when you're featured on Time Magazine? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, a backstory on that. I mean, it, um, literally, I, I got a call from my buddy, and he's like, oh, you're not going to believe this. You're one of Time Magazine's 100 most influential people in the world. I'm like, oh, that's funny. You know, great joke. He's like, no, 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 you're, you're number 29. You're ahead of Oprah, and you're one behind George Clooney. <laughs> and I'm like, you're kidding. And he's like, no, go look, look, look at the list. And I got the magazine and looked at the list. And I thought, you know, they don't even inform you. You're being evaluated. <laughs> you know, they don't want anyone to influence the voting. So literally, that's how I ended up on the list. And even when I hear you say that, I, I think you're talking about some other guy. I mean, people say, you know, you were invited to run through the White House. You met with the first lady. You're the first person in history to run through the White House, literally. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. That was me. People say, you, you know, you, you've won all these awards, these accolades. You know, you've been featured on 60 Minutes. You know, you've got an ESPN Epsi Award. You know, what else is there? And I'm, I'm thinking, hold it. I haven't done anything in my life. I've, you know. It's just, it doesn't sound like you're talking about me because I'm just a runner. You know, that's it. I can respect that connection to just being an athlete, really dedicating yourself to that. You're also an author. How did writing come into play with this for you? Yeah, so I had always um, wanted to write a book. I had aspired to writing a book sometime in my life, uh, as many people do, right? I mean, many people say, you know, at some point I want to try writing a book. So I finally said, now's the time to do it. So I, I wrote a book and I thought, okay, if I can convince five of my buddies to buy this book, I'm going to be really lucky. And the next thing I know, it's on the New York Times bestseller list. It was called Ultra Marathon Man, Confessions of an All-Night Runner. And that book has sold um, over a quarter million copies. It's in wow. print in 18 languages. And I thought, 
who wants to read some obscure you know manuscript about a guy running you know hundreds of miles in the wilderness by himself but i thought you know there there's something in the message here that that transcends running and and people re- and that resonates with people so um i got another book deal i wrote another book and it sold well you know same sort of thing and now um you know i've written my fourth book and all of them have done really really well but i think you can't just write about running uh, as you know, if you've ever watched a marathon, for instance, on television, mm. <laughs> you know, it's a guy running, um, you know, there's maybe 10 seconds of excitement toward the finish, but um, it, it's hard just to write about running because running is, uh, is, is boring, let's face it. But the, the messages around um, persistence and, you know, overcoming adversity and, and dealing with obstacles, those are universal themes that transcend running. It's amazing how much, you know, we had Laird Hamilton on, the big wave surfer, and it's, it's amazing how much there is this sort of cross-section of, you know, life advice and how just maintaining, you know, a, a healthy living, to, you know, in, in your mind. Let's <laughs> but, but it's so funny. You, you consider, you know, what Laird does is healthy. I'm thinking, my God, the guy rides, you know, mountains of water. <laughs> or, and, and, you know, me doing what I'm doing is, I don't know if that's necessarily you know, healthy running hundreds of miles, but it's a bit extreme, but you're right. It's almost like this life lesson or this, so much of it translates into what we can use to live a healthy life and gain perspective on life in some way. You mentioned, you know, these messages transcend running. What have you found for yourself has been a major obstacle for you? The biggest obstacle for me is the guy I see every morning in the mirror. And I think that's the same with anyone. I think um, my preconceived you know, ideas of what is and what isn't possible are what holds me back. And the only way I can break through those limitations is by uh, crossing the line and pushing myself to do things that I once would have thought was entirely impossible to do. I mean, if you had said to me you know, before I started doing this, hey, you know, one day you're going to run 100 miles nonstop. I would have laughed. I mean, it was like, I don't even like driving a hundred miles nonstop, like, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and I would have said, that's impossible. A human being, you know, I know what it feels like to run one mile nonstop. It hurts. It burns. It's painful. Uh, there's no way I could, you know, run a hundred miles and then to go do it. You just, you prove to yourself that you're more capable than you think you are and you can go further than you think you ever could. There's such a large basis on what we think we can do and what we, we think we can't do what we regard as impossible and and i really liked what you said about the the opponent being you know just you the person you see in the mirror every day how do you connect what you deem to be impossible and and what's your reference to running a race running 100 miles or setting yourself up to run this 100 miles how much of your mentality predicts or you know puts you in this sort of position to you know, succeed in running this long distance or fail? Well, you know, you hit on a good point. And, you know, running is, is very symbolic. I mean, um, most people can relate to running. It's identifiable. You know, riding a big wave like Laird does, it's admirable, but it's hard for the, a layperson to really identify with that, unless you're a surfer. I mean, I'm a surfer, so I have great respect for what he does. But unless you surf, you can't really identify what it means to ride a 30-foot wave where running people know because they've done it. Almost every human has run. And, you know, it's very symbolic in that regard because if you've run a mile, you can say, okay, well, I've run a mile nonstop. Let me see if I can run two miles nonstop. Hmm. 
well, maybe three miles. And to me, it was, well, boy, I just ran 50 miles nonstop. Let me see if I can run 100. And then I ran 100 miles nonstop. And then I said, I heard learned of this 135 mile foot race. And I said, let me see if I can run 135 miles nonstop. Did that. And then I heard of this 200 mile 12 person relay race. And I thought, I wonder if I could do that by myself as a team of one. And I ran 200 miles nonstop. And I kept pushing the envelope further and further until I failed. And you brought up a very good point. Until you fail, you really don't know how far you can go. So I pushed myself over the edge and I failed. And I'll tell you what, I learned a lot more, and I always do, from my failures than I do from my successes. I mean, when you succeed, you know, you high five at the finish line, you, know, you got the medal around your neck. I did it, I pulled it off. When you fail, you tend to look inward. You get very introspective and you dissect where did things go wrong? What can I do better in the future? And those are the best learnings to me are failures, not successes. Absolutely. Is there one specific moment that you can think of as a failure where you learn the most from? Well, there's a race I just alluded to. It's called the Badwater Ultramarathon. Yeah, so it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's a 135-mile continuous foot race uh, across Death Valley right. in the middle of summer. And you know, Death Valley is the most inhospitable, the hottest place on earth. And you know, temperatures can get up over 130 degrees during this race, which you know, running 135 miles in 130 plus degree temperatures is it's inhumane, right? I mean, you, you it's it's torture and you just think it's impossible. Well, I set out to do it, and the first year I attempted it at mile about mile 78, it was the middle of the night, and I was on this, you know, two-lane highway out in the middle of the desert. Hadn't seen anyone for hours. No cars had passed me. It's pitch black, 3 a.m., and I see an old Miner 49er walking across the road toward me. <laughs> yeah, he had a big gray beard, overalls, and he comes walking across the road, and he holds out a gold pan, and he says, water, water, I need water. Wow. And I thought, oh, my God. So I was carrying this handheld water bottle, and I, started, I turned it upside down and started to aspirate it in his gold pan, and I heard the water sizzling on the asphalt. Oh my and I, I reached my hand out to touch him on the shoulder and my hand went right through him. And I thought that was a hallucination. Not only that, it was a hallucination that talked to me. Yeah. And then I saw big dinosaurs off in the distance in the desert in the night. And um, next thing I know, I wake up in a, an air conditioned hotel room, uh, looking up at my crew saying, you know, where, where am I? I'm supposed to be running across Death Valley. And they said, you know, we were driving around in the middle of the night looking all over for you. Uh, we found we saw your shoes on the side of the road, and we found you passed out on the roadside. You literally ran yourself into exhaustion and just collapsed on the roadside. We picked you up. We we drove you, you know, to this hotel, the closest hotel, and you've been asleep for six hours with the air conditioning on. So that was a, a pretty <laughs> spectacular failure. What was something that you learned from that, from being in those conditions and not completing the race? Uh, you know, one thing I learned is that you really have to heat acclimate. So my body just wasn't accustomed. You know, I would run when it was warm, but never when it was that close to, you know, 130 degrees. So what I what I started to do is I'd start to run in the middle of summer with all my North Face, you know, ski wear on. I'd put on my big puffy, you know, parka and I'd run in, you know, 90 degree heat wearing big ski clothing, hmm. uh, which, you know, increased the heat incredibly inside internally. And I'd also go into the, uh, the sauna at the gym and do sets of uh, push-ups and sit-ups to hmm. get more accustomed to the heat. Um, those are you know, some of the things that I did. 
So let's take our audience into the mentality of what's happening in your mind as you're running. So you start this race, and as you mentioned, I was going to bring the Badwater Ultra Marathon up. It's 135 miles. It's 130 degrees out, and you know, so it's sweltering heat. As you start, you know, mile one, what's going on in your brain? Well, you know, the one thing that really attracts me to ultra marathoning is that there's a solidarity of focus. I mean, there's one thing in your mind, and that is reaching the finish line. Uh, there's a single goal, and it might be a daunting goal, but at least you know what's expected. The rules of engagement are very simple. The gun goes off, you start running. To succeed, you reach the finish line. If you don't, you fail. And let's face it, life is ambiguous. You know, the, the finish line moves around a lot, right? You're never really sure if you're going in the right direction, as well as you're typically bombarded with noise, right? In the course of any given day, I mean, you've got tweets coming in, texts, you know, right. there's ads, you know, there's just lots of stuff coming your way. When you're running an ultra marathon, all of that disappears. And there's just one single goal in your mind for a very long amount of time. And that is reaching the finish line. And to me, it's almost like a Zen-like state that you put yourself in. And it, it's very rejuvenating. It's very cleansing just to have one thing on your mind for so long because it's not something that, that typically we do uh, in this modern era yeah. ever. And, but, yeah. but it's a very human thing to do, but just something we don't do in this modern world. Hearing you describe it, it's so simple, the lack of this sort of complexity and the way that we are just inundated with information all the time, all the time. So the way you put it is just so beautifully put. Can you describe that sort of flow state aspect of you're just cruising and you know that there's no hesitation or doubt in your mind that you're going to cross that finish line? You know, when you're in that Zen-like state, you're not thinking about the finish line. I've tried as best to focus on exactly where my mind goes when I enter this place. And what you're focused on is the present moment of time, is the now. Hmm. I mean, we're always, we're thinking about the finish line, or we're thinking about something in the future, or we're reflecting on the past, or we're preoccupied with something we're doing. But when you get into the Zen-like state, you don't think about anything except you know, putting one foot in front of the other to the best of your ability. So you're really that granular with your thoughts. I'm just thinking, take your next step as best you can. Take your next step as best you can. I'm not thinking about, wow, the finish line is you know, 60 miles ahead. I've got a long way to go. Or I'm not thinking about, you know, the finish line's right around the corner. I'm almost done. I'm just being in the present moment of time, the here and now, and not reflecting on the past, not cluttering my mind with any other thought other than what's right there in front of me at that moment. So, I mean, just to put our audience kind of more in this sort of perspective of, of doing this ultra marathon, there's no emergency team sort of following you. There's nothing like that, right? It's just you and the road, correct? It really depends on the various races. I mean, some, sometimes it's exactly as you described it. And even, you know, more removed, there is no road. A lot of times, you know, you're running through the wilderness on single track trails uh, where there's basically nothing out there. <laughs> there's no people, there's, there's nothing except you and the, and the trail and nature. That's probably one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard, man. I mean, like, <laughs> I just, just being in that situation of just, you know, being left 
to your own devices and just running and and knowing that you know there's no one behind you to sort of back you up and and you're you're left to your own sort of wits what do you think has been your biggest insight from that our biggest fear is the unknown and if you can just you know blank out your fear somehow uh, and just go with the the flow if you will it's very liberating to be running out in the middle of nowhere by yourself and not be fearful, not be in a fearful state, but it be in a comfortable and relaxed state. So that's something I've learned. The other thing that I've learned um, is, is something that not many people today can really relate to, and that is um, I have a relationship with nature. I mean, I have a love affair with the wilderness. <laughs> Most people, you know, I think in modern society don't even know what it's like to be in the wilderness, but I'm more comfortable uh, off running in the wilderness by myself than I am in groups of people. So that, that's a, a reality that I think is very human. It's very primordial, if you will, but something that's been entirely lost in our modern society. I think a lot of people fear the wilderness or just don't spend time or might even think it's boring being out there by themselves. Uh, to me, it's, 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 it's a love affair. <laughs> I enjoy it. It makes me feel whole. It makes me feel complete. It makes me really feel alive when I'm just out by myself in the middle of nowhere running on a trail. In your book, Road to Sparta, there was something that you mentioned called uni-hemisphere slow-wave sleep, which is the ability to put one half of the brain to sleep while the other half stays awake. And you can actually run in this state? Is that, is that right? Well, you can, but it's not like I studied this state and thought, okay, put yourself in here while you're running. I mean, I basically was so exhausted while I was running. I mean, you know, for you listeners, I mean, these, some of these runs are, you know, 36, 48 hours nonstop. So you're going through a night or two nights without sleep and you're running continuously. I found myself, uh, you know, running down the middle of the road uh, in the middle of the night. I'm, you know, and wondering why am I running in the middle of the road and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and kind of meandering over back to the shoulder. And then, you know, it happened again. I, I, I woke up running down the middle of the road. I realized I was sleep running. I was literally just falling asleep, but willing my body to keep going. And so after the, that episode of that kind of uh, catatonic running, if you will, I researched it. And, and that's how I came up with the scientific term for what was happening. Now, I, I really want to get into the nutrition aspect of this and, you know, what has changed in the last, you know, 20 years or so of this technology kind of explosion information? How's that affected running? The technology has affected running in a lot of ways. I mean, you alluded to nutrition yeah. and we can, we can rift on that, you know, um, in a bit, but I mean, just in, in brief, it's gone from this idea of, you know, carbo loading, which, you know, many non-runners and some even recreational runners still believe it's in vogue to carbo load, you know, where you eat a lot of pasta and rice and so forth um, but it's gone full circle you know we realize now especially elite athletes that carbo loading is the worst thing to do because <laughs> it just leaves you kind of bloated and, and overly stuffed at the starting line so we've gone from car you know the idea of taking in a lot of carbs to taking in almost no carbs to this ketogenic state where you're using fat as fuel right um, that's one thing that's changed with nutrition and that's these this is pretty progressive not every runner even is familiar with the idea of running in a state of ketosis, but a lot of elite athletes are. Of course, the rise of smartwatches and devices has completely changed the landscape. I mean, 
when I first started running, you know, you would you would estimate how far you thought you ran, or you try to triangulate on a map. <laughs> but of course, a lot of trails, you know, it's hard to even tell on a on a trail map how far it was you ran. You know, now with uh, a GPS watch, you know, you can pretty much monitor everything you're doing. You can look at your elevation, your your gain, you know, your descent, your ascent, your heart rate. I mean, you can monitor everything with your vitals in a way that was impossible when I first started running. So going back to uh, nutrition, how do you think that has changed? And are there secrets or tricks that you use to endure this pace that you're keeping? Well, you know, when we talk about nutrition, I always preface it by saying, listen to everyone, follow no one. So I, I know what works for me, and I encourage other athletes to experiment to find what works best for them. Because a lot of the, the guys I train with and race with, we have different uh, regimes when it comes to nutrition. But I've kind of gone back to nature. So I've gone full circle from highly you know, processed, refined foods to more natural sources of calories these days. Um, things like nut butters, for instance. So you know, ground cashew nut butter was one of my favorite. It's very simple foods, coconut water for hydration versus like a, a sports beverage. Those kind of things to me just sit better in my stomach and they just leave me feeling better than if I was eating, you know, highly processed and refined foods like I used to. Have you noticed a sort of attrition that happens with the body? I mean, I know that for me personally, that contact with the pavement just it, it, it affects my joints kind of adversely. Have you noticed that at all with your body? Well, I you know, I've, I'm I would say atypical in that regard in that I've never had a running related injury. So I've never had an overuse injury. I'm 100% Greek and you know, I have very good biomechanics, so my alignment is really as a runner should be. Uh, and that's nothing, you know, that I've trained for. I mean, you you inherit your biomechanics. That's comes from mom and dad. I mean, they say the best thing you can do as a long distance runner is to choose your parents well. <laughs> so I guess I I started by choosing my parents well. Um, But the other thing that I do a lot of is cross training. I don't just run. And I think a lot of runners that just run, especially elite runners, um, suffer all the time. Um, And that's because they're not doing anything besides running. So I do a lot of cross training. And I'm perhaps more bulky than than most runners. I mean, if you look at me compared to say an elite, you know, marathoner, like a, you know, one of the Kenyans, for instance, gentlemen, the same height as me, I probably outweigh them by 30 or 40 pounds. And all of it is muscle. So, you know, we might have the same percentage of body fat, which is, you know, around four and a half percent body fat, but I just carry a lot more bulk and that's from cross training. And I really think that helps with injury prevention and it helps with soreness, you know, joint soreness, because your muscles are supporting a lot of the impact that your joints take when you run. I'm curious to know what motivates you to do this. Is it just your passion for it or is it to do something that, you know, other people aren't necessarily doing or is it that Zen that you get from that moment of just being by yourself in nature? I mean, what is it that pushes you to keep doing this? You know, I think it's just the pure joy of the freedom running brings. Certainly, I like to compete, so I like to race, and there's a thrill in racing. That's not my main motivation. My motivation is just the the joy and simplicity of running and the internal reward it brings to me. There's a lot of runners that understand what I'm saying. Um, Some people might be listening to this going, I don't don't get this guy at all, but it's just who I am. So, you know, I'm I'm Greek again. I get back to, you know, (laughs) know thyself and be thyself. I'm really trying to kind of dig out as much as I can of life teachings that you can get from running 
we talked about it a little bit before, you know, there's this aspect of perseverance and that no mind state of just putting one foot in front of the other. And that's, that's all you have in your mind. How do you translate this to your regular life when you're in a stressful situation? I mean, has there been an, an aspect of this that carries over for you in your real life? Oh, I think absolutely. I mean, I think that there's so many topics that running um, reinforces. I mean, you know, one that's very clear that we haven't discussed is discipline. I mean, people say, you know, how, how do you motivate to go running every day? Well, I, I got to be honest, as much as I love running, there's a lot of days when running just sucks. <laughs> I don't want to run. If I'm training for a race, I especially don't want to go do a hard training session on certain days when I don't feel like running. And that comes down to discipline. So this kind of um, relationship between, you know, paying your dues and getting the reward is very clear in running. And there's just no shortcuts. I mean, you know, if you're going to run a marathon, and I, I really encourage everyone w at least once in their life to run a marathon because it teaches you very quickly that there's no path of least resistance to high achievement, that you have to pay your dues. You, you just can't fake your way through a marathon. And it teaches you very clearly that if you try to fake your way through a marathon, you'll fail. <laughs> so that, you know, that's one element um, running has taught me. You know, the other thing that uh, it, it's really taught me is to know myself better. And how do you get to learn about yourself? Well, you put yourself in uncomfortable situations, correct? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times when you're in an uncomfortable situation, like if you're in front of an audience and you don't like public speaking, you're so nervous, you're not really digesting much of the message. Right. But when you're running for 26.2 miles and you're spending, you know, three and a half, four and a half hours on your feet, You've got a lot of time to process, you know, how you're responding to this pain and to this challenge. That internal dialogue going on in your head is very clear and you can hear it uh, and you can respond to it. You're either going to tell yourself, I can't do it, I'm going to drop out, but you can't fool yourself. You know, if you tell yourself that, that you, you failed and you've allowed yourself to fail and you're maybe not as tough as you think you are. But more likely, what you're going to do is you're going to say, this really hurts, this really sucks, I want to stop, but I'm going to keep going. And when you do that, you, you get the message to yourself that, hey, I'm, I'm more resilient than I believe I really was. I can get through situations that I never thought I could get through. And you know, running, especially trying to run something like a marathon, teaches you these things very concretely. Yeah, that's, that's a great analogy. I love that. I feel like in a very similar regard, when there's a negative thought, you know, that happens to you during your day, it, it sort of starts as like a small seed. The more that you focus on it, the more that it grows. And then it just, it completely takes over your mind. Do you find that when you're in this state, how much are you fighting off these thoughts? Oh, absolutely. In fact, um, you know, when the going gets tough, any marathon or any runner even who stuck to it and got to the finish line of a difficult race, they'll tell you, and I'll tell you the same thing, that at some point, uh, the pain owns you. And that's all you can think about is overcoming the pain. It just takes complete control of you. And when that happens, it's really powerful to push through it because you teach yourself that you can have these negative thoughts, you can process them, and you can move beyond them. And that's not something a lot of people can do. I mean, a lot of times we get stuck in this negativity and it, it sticks with us the whole day or it might even stick with us a whole lifetime. <laughs> yeah. 
And that, and again, that's why I just advocate so much um, running a marathon. You just learn so much. I think it's a really healthy idea to to challenge yourself, to push the envelope to an extent, and you know, really find out what you're made of, and really kind of test your own limitations and your perceived limitations. You know, I just got this Fitbit thing. I work a lot. I'm in my office a lot. So I got it just to hold myself a little bit more accountable. When I find myself sitting in my chair too much and it buzzes, it gives me that notification that you've been sitting for too long. I will get up and I'll move around and I'll go outside and take a walk. And just getting out of this sort of realm of of constantly being, you know, immersed in information and immersed in, you know, what's going on on Twitter or, or my email or when you speak about this sort of zen state and pushing your mind to this pain threshold. I really identify with that. I really connect with that. You know, it takes discipline to do what you just said. And even though, you know, your Fitbit is saying, hey, you haven't taken your, you know, 250 steps this hour, you need to have the the self-discipline to get up and walk outside. You know, I work out constantly throughout the day. So I have this program of what they call HIIT training or high-intensity interval training. Mm -hmm. And it's like a 12 to 14 minute routine of, you know, push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, burpees, uh, dip. And it's, it's very exhausting. You know, your heart rate is, is really elevated for those 12 to 14 minutes. But I'll tell you what, if, if you can just get away from a screen and force yourself to do it, when you emerge 12 or 14 minutes later, you just feel like you're reborn. I mean, you feel refreshed. You feel rejuvenated. That noise has just dissipated. So, you know, good for you for having the discipline to listen to that tracker on your wrist. You have been listening to the Human Experience Podcast. To listen to the rest of this episode with Dean, where he gets into some of his personal habits and how he mixed being an entrepreneur with ultra marathon running and using that as a career, using that as a source to make a life around get to thehumanxp.com slash members. Become a member today. It helps us sustain what we're doing. If you value even one of our episodes, go to thehumanxp.com slash members, get access to all of our bonus content and help keep this show sustained. Thank you guys so much for listening.